Well, good morning. Welcome. Did we not have an incredible time of worship? Oh, that was absolutely amazing. I'm so blessed. Boy, you can sure feel God's presence in this room, can't you? If you're a guest here this morning, and I know there's a couple of you I know that this is your first time here, and so um, I want to welcome you once again. And I just want to say that immediately following the service, if you would head out to the guest services, maybe you've been there already. And I would encourage our people, if there's somebody sitting next to you that you don't know, and maybe this is their first time, boy, what a great opportunity for you to usher them to the guest services and they can just learn more about our church. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching online, and I know you're warm and cozy at home, but it's pretty warm and cozy in here too, isn't it? Yes. All right, so I just want to say first thing today, um, I hope your team wins, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Whatever team, I hope your team wins, okay? Okay, now, before we get started, um, next Sunday, a week from today, is our Faith and Family Night at the Wichita Thunder hockey game. And so I have five free tickets. Yes, woo. And they're on the ice. Just kidding, okay? I thought, oh, they may not know what I mean. Anyway, um, would anybody like five free tickets? Okay, so Pastor Phil, I'm going to give you, yes, he's such a servant. (laughs) You can give him one out, five, whatever you want to do. Raise your hand if you want those tickets. There you go. All right, very good. Okay, so um, my, did you get it? Yeah, very good. <laughs> Pastor Phil's now going to preach this sermon. I'm going to, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. So my grandma was an incredible cook. Um, incredible doesn't really describe her. She never used a recipe. She would say she would take a pinch of this and a thimble of that. And I mean, the things that she could do were absolutely amazing. But on the day that she was baking bread, oh, that's a day you wanted to be around the house. I mean, even to this day, I can see the kitchen, and I can, I can smell the bread as it is baking. And then what she always did, and this is one of my favorite parts, is she would pull out a loaf right out of the oven, and then she would set it down on the tray, and she would take her, her bread cutting knife, it had to have a right knife, a bread knife, and she would cut off a piece of it, and then she would kind of put water, or put um, butter on it with a little bit of cinnamon, and then she would give it to us, and you'd watch it, it'd be warm in your hand, and the butter would just melt, and then you would take a bite of it, and oh, it was just unbelievable. My mouth is watering even now, Okay. What an incredible gift. One of the things that I used to do is I would go in and I would sit on a chair and I would watch. This was when I was younger, and I would watch the bread rise. And I remember one time my grandma said to me, she said, she said, Bobby, she said, do you know how the bread, the bread rises? Do you know why? And I go, no. And she said, it's called yeast. She says, I don't need very much at all. I just take a little bit and I put this yeast in. And what happens is, is that yeast feeds off the sugars in the flour. And there is a chemical reaction that takes place, and it releases carbon dioxide, and that's how the bread rises. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Did you know that Jesus talked about yeast in the Bible? He did it on a couple different occasions, and I just want to go to that scripture verse real quick. 
And I want you to listen to what he says about it. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, they were the leaders in the church. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What Jesus is telling us here is this. In the Jewish teaching, yeast was a metaphor for evil. Did you know that? So when Jesus is talking about yeast, the disciples would have known what he's saying, and he's telling this. He said, be careful, be aware of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are teaching. And remember, it doesn't take a whole lot, but just a little bit of yeast, just a little bit of false teaching, and you mix it in the church, and guess what? It can create all kinds of problems. You know what Jesus was talking about here? He was talking about compromise. And he was telling us that, you know what? In your life, be aware of those little compromises that you make because those little compromises can lead to eternal repercussions. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. This is to the church at Pergamum. Jesus writes to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who has been put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with the new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, may it never be said of us, that there is too much of the world in this church. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So I'm gonna go back to this slide just to help you and recap a little bit about where we are. We're in a series called Refresh. And that word refresh is what we're going to use all through 2023. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to refresh our relationships, our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. 
because we all know that if we don't hit the refresh button, what happens? The relationship can grow stale. And God never wants to have a stale relationship with his children, right? And so what we're doing is we're reading the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor at that time, which is now known as modern-day Turkey. And you can see that's why the word, the name Istanbul is up there, just to give you a reference to where we are. We've already been to Ephesus, remember? Remember the message? That's where we got that very first one. Don't do it out of duty. Don't do it because you have to, but do it because you love me. That's what Jesus says. And then we went on to Smyrna. And remember, Smyrna was the church who was going through suffering. And what did Jesus say? Persevere, keep going, and rely on me to get you through it. And now we head up to where's Pergamos, which is Pergamum. It's the same thing. And we're going to talk about the church of Pergamum today. Now, I want to tell you that you can see this is a postal route. So when people would go to the island of Patmos, those that went to visit John, they got the letters and they went and Ephesus and then Smyrna and then Pergamos, that was the postal route that they, that they went through, okay? All right, now, I want to give you a warning about this, and that is, is that remember we talked about the importance of understanding. This just isn't a letter to those churches. It's a letter to our church too. But not only that, it's a letter to you and to me. And so I want you to know, and I'm just going to be honest with you, this is a hard one. And I'm excited to share it with you because I've been living through this all this week. And I hope that God will touch your heart today like he's touched mine all through this week. I want to remind you that God is not the kind of God who sits there and points the finger at you because he wants you to feel guilty. No. The only reason why he may bring things to mind is because he loves you. He's not going to announce it on the radio or TV. He's just simply going to say to you, let's take care of this area in your life. So Pergamum, so that you understand a little bit about this city, was the Washington, D.C. of Asia Minor. This was, the, this was also the government seat where the god was Caesar. Now you know why the very first thing Jesus says when he writes this letter is this. What does he say to him? He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. So I just want to ask you, do you understand what Jesus is saying right off the bat? Here's what he's saying. I'm the God who sees, and I see where you live. When my kids were younger, one of the things that would happen is sometimes when they were little, they were afraid. Maybe it was dark in a room, or maybe there was a dog somewhere nearby. And you know what I would always say to them? Daddy's here. And you know what? It was my presence that relieved them of their fear. Understand? And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. He's telling the people, he's telling the church, he's telling you and I, Daddy's here. You don't have to be afraid. I know where you live. I know whose throne, who also lives there, because I'm the God who sees. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, that's kind of comforting, isn't it, for you? But he doesn't stop there. He continues on to tell them a little bit more about what he sees. You see, this was also the place 
where the governor lived. And the governor had what the people called the right to the sword. Now let me tell you what that means. It just simply means that the governor had the ability to either execute somebody or not having them executed. You remember when Jesus was, remember why, why did, why did the, the Pharisees, why did they take Jesus to, to the Romans? Because they were the only ones who could pronounce someone to, to be killed or not. And Pilate was the governor at that time. And so that's what's happening here. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says to the people in this letter, um, just in case you want to know, I'm the one that has the true authority. And nobody has authority except that I give that to him. And then he refers to what exactly he's talking about. I am the one with the sharp, double-edged sword. In other words, I'm the only one who has the true authority over life and death. All right, are we all on the same page so far? All right, now here we go. I just want to tell you four things about this city that's very important for you to understand, okay? Here's the first one. The very first thing that you need to know is that in this city was a big arena, and it was called the Hellenistic Theater. It housed 10,000 people at one time. That was a big stadium back in those days. And what I want you to know is that what they did in this stadium, one is number one, is they would do theater in the stadium. They would also have athletic games in this theater, but this is also the place where either Christians would either live or they would die. So I just want you to know that if you were at the church at Pergamum, and any time you walked around Pergamum, guess what? Every time you saw that theater, that huge stadium, you knew that could be the place where you could lose your life. Here's the second thing. They had a lot of temples in the city of Pergamum, just like all of these other pagan cities, but there was one temple that seemed to rise up, and it was to the god Zeus. You know what they called Zeus? the king of kings. They believed that he was the authority over all gods, so they referred to him as he was the god of gods, the king of kings, okay? That was the second thing. Now, here's the third thing. The third thing is, is that in Pergamum was located the second biggest library in all of the world, second only to Alexandria. Now, here's what they had in there. They had more than 200,000 scrolls. So in other words, what they wanted you to know, if you wanted to know anything, if you wanted to be intellectual, if you wanted wisdom, if you wanted knowledge, Pergamum is the place that you came because this is the plane where the intellectuals hung out. This is where we discussed some of the latest ideas. And the more you knew, the more you rose in society. That was the third thing. And there was one more thing, and it had to do with a god by the name of Asclepius. Asclepius was the god of healing, okay? And so what happened was is that people from all over the world, he had this huge temple, and his temples were looked at like hospitals. So if you needed healing of your body, mind, and soul, guess where you came? You came to this temple. Now, you know what the representation of the god Asclepius was? The snake. So think about this. If you came into this temple, what they would allow you to do if you were invited in, that you would get to spend the night in the temple, and the temple was filled with non-venomous snakes. And so as you would lay on the floor, what you hoped would happen is that a snake would either bite you or crawl over you because that was the symbol or that was your, knowledge, your way of knowing that you were guaranteed healing. 
Okay? Everybody with me so far? I have a chain that I wear. I wear this every day, and it's one of those medical alert chains, okay? And on this chain, I have a little symbol here. Just tells me this is, it just tells people this is a medical alert, and then it tells people on there what mine is. Okay, I'm a type 2 diabetic. So if they were to see me out in the middle of the road laying, they would know, okay, maybe he's got a diabetic coma, and they wouldn't know what to do, okay? Okay, now I want to tell you something. I want you to see how powerful the influence was of, this, of, the, of Pergamum, okay? I want you to look at this. Tell me what this is. It's a symbol for medicine, isn't it? Guess where that came from? Pergamum. Now, all I want you to know is this. This is the place where the church at Pergamum is located. All right, now, there's a couple other things I want you to know. I want you to now know how the Lord God was working in the background. Now, we talk about coincidences, right? What is a coincidence? A coincidence is not something that just happens by accident. It's God working in the background, amen? If you think our world is chaotic right now, if you think that our country is falling out of control, if you feel like we are in chaos, I want you to know, no, we're not. You know how I know that? Because the Lord God is still on his throne and he is a God of order. And so you know what? I'm not afraid of what's happening in our country because I know God's in control. And here's what else I know about God. What I know about my God is that he's gonna use everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hateful, and he's gonna use it for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, who love him, that's what I know for sure. All right, now, Here's the thing. So back in Pergamum, there was this king by the name of Attalus. We talked about him last week a little bit. In 200 BC, he was the king, and he made, he made a, a treaty with the Roman government. And here's what the treaty was. We will allow you, that peninsula there, okay, that, that, that land there of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, we will allow you to control that. That's part of the peace treaty. So King Attalus ruled that land. King Attalus II, his son, ruled that land. And King Attalus III ruled that land. But something happened on the deathbed of King Attalus III. You know what he did? He willed all of the land that was given to him by the Roman government back to Rome. Hmm, coincidence. No. What does the Bible tell us about the power of our God? He even controls the way the rivers go, the same way he controls the mind of those who are against him. All right, now I know you're probably thinking, so what's the big deal? It's huge. You know why? Because now the Romans had the path that they needed to control the entire world. And before he was 30, Alexander Great did just that. He controls the entire world. So here's what that means. One culture and one language. Guess what happened to the gospel? It just spread like wildfire all throughout the world. You see how God was working even in the midst of all of that, that evil, that, that pagan, in the midst of all that, God was working behind the scenes, creating a path so his word could go out. So here's what I want you to know about that church in Pergamum. 
They believed that Jesus was the savior of the world, not Caesar. They believed that Jesus was the king of kings, not Zeus. And they believed that all knowledge and all complete healing only came from Jesus, not Asclepius. Can you see the conflict that these people are living in, in this pagan world? All right, now, let's go to the letter. And the very first thing that Jesus does is he gives them an attaboy. So I, I've learned already that if I have something that's hard to say to people, you know what, I need to find something good to kind of soften the blow. And Jesus comes to these people and he says, listen, I want to tell you something. Do you remember what happened to my witness Antipas? Now, who was Antipas? Historians tell us that he was one of the pastors of this church. And he says, do you remember what happened to Antipas? He was martyred for his faith. What does that mean? That means he was killed because he believed in Jesus. You know how he died? Historians tell us that he was roasted in a brazen bull. They put him in a brazen bull and they put him over a fire and that's how they killed him, okay? Can you imagine how, what a horrible thing to do? And Jesus tells these people, here's what I want you to know. I remember how you went through that and you went through that the exact way you're supposed to do it. What did you do? You held on to the truth of my name. That's what you did. You clung to my name. Now I want to show you something in the book of Philippians real quick, okay? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That name at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's some real wisdom here that the Lord is giving us, and here's what he's telling us. When you're going through difficulties, when you're going through trials, just like this church of Pergamum, grab on to the character of who God is. In your life, you have gotten to know God in many different ways, I hope, right? In my life, I've learned that God is sovereign. I've experienced him as sovereign. I know that God is the provider. I've experienced him as a, as a provider. I know God is the miracle worker. Why? Because I've experienced him as a miracle worker. I know that God is the healer. Why? Because I've experienced him as a healer. I know that God is over life and death because I've experienced loss. I know what that feels like. But I also know, and what I cling to, is who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, I know that there is a life to come. And I can go on and on about all the ways I've experienced Christ. And what he's saying to this church and to us, us, whatever you're going through, cling to that character of Jesus. Now, that's what most of the people were doing. But there's some of them were not. And now we get into the hard part because Jesus now says, yeah, there's a couple issues though that I have with you. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been in the principal's office? Okay, I have. My principal is my dad. Okay? And I can remember when they look at you and, and then you just swallow hard and that's what you're doing here. So let's look and see what happens here. Jesus is talking, he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Oh. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. All right, so what's going on here? Here's what happened. There were some in the church that got tired of persevering. They were tired of being excluded. 
They were tired of being cast out and they were tired of being ridiculed in Pergamum. And so what they decided to do was they decided that the best thing that they could do was to compromise. You see, if they would compromise, then it would take the pressure off with them. It was no big deal. They were just going to do it just a little bit. And these are the people that Jesus has a problem with. And he confronts them. Now take a look at this. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now I want you to listen to this for a minute. You see, what the people were doing was this. There were two things. Number one, they were eating food that they had already known had been sacrificed to idols in other temples. That was one way that they denied Christ. The second way that they denied him was is they were going into these temples and they were denying him by participating in sexually immoral acts by having sex with prostitutes in the temple. And then they would go to church. And you know what? Jesus tells them, this is what he tells them. He says, you can't be like the world. My friends, here's the word that Jesus has to this church. There's too much church or too much world in the church. There was compromise going on. And he gives them an example. And here's the example. If you go in the book of Numbers, you will see the story of Balak and Balaam. Balak was the king, and he hated the Israelites. And what he wanted, he did not want them to come in and to take the land. And so here's what he did. He hired a sorcerer by the name of Balaam. And this is what he told Balaam. He says, I want you to go into the Israel camp and I want you to give them a curse. Three times Balaam tried to do this and every time he went in, he never spoke a curse, but he spoke a blessing. Finally, he realized he couldn't beat God. So you know what he did? He realized that he could not control them. And so what he decided to do was is he decided to corrupt them. And so here's what he did. He went to the women of Moab and he told them, I want you to come in to Israel and I want you to seduce their men. You see, the men knew that God had given a very strict warning and this was the warning. Do not intermarry. You know why? Because he knew that the women who came in, who were the Moabites, and as they came in, they would bring their pagan gods. And as they bring their pagan gods, they're going to change you to where you are now worshiping me, but you're also worshiping idols. And I am the Lord your God. I am the one and only God. The men were thinking, it's no big deal. We can just compromise a little bit here. And you know what? We'll turn them into Christian women. Well, that's not what happened. They compromised. And their little compromise had eternal um, repercussions. You know what happened? The Bible says 24,000 of them died. So what areas in your life are you compromising? What areas in your life 
Satan knows he can't control you. Satan knows that he can't change you from loving Jesus. So, but he also knows that what he can do is he can come little plant little seeds. And what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to corrupt you. Because this is what he knows. If he can get you to compromise in just one area, that compromise affects what you believe. What you believe is seen in the way you act. The way you act creates your habits. Your habits create your character, and your character creates your destiny. And you know how you know it's a compromise? Number one, you know it goes against what God has called you to do and be. And the second thing is you hear the voice of Satan saying, it's no big deal. Can I use some examples? I hate the F-bomb. And my heart is so sensitive to that that when I hear that, I have to run. You know how I know when I'm beginning to compromise? When I start hearing myself say, it's not that big of deal. I'm already down the path. My dear friends in Christ, God's called us to be different. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look different than the world. But when the church begins to look like the world, that's when we're in trouble. And what's the trouble? Remember what Jesus said in the very first letter? You lose your light. You lose your influence. And if your light doesn't burn bright for Jesus, then you're not effective anymore because you're just like the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't need to tell you what that area is in your life because you already know, right? I know I know. And this week, you know what? Lord, where have I compromised? What are my areas? You know what he said to me? (laughs) Do I need to tell you? I mean, let's just be honest with each other, right? Do I really need to tell you, Bob? Uh, Yeah, no. No one needs to tell us when we've done wrong, when we've compromised. Because our spirit that lives in us. Now, if it's not saying it to you, that's when you have to worry. So let me just share with you an example. When I was coaching basketball at Trinity Academy, one of the things that I did is I had to know who the guys were that would listen to me no matter what. At the end of the game, when the game was on the line, I had to know who those guys were that I could trust. So how do you find that out? You know how I figured it out? This is what I did. So we would rhyme these things. We would call you, some people call them suicide, somebody, people call them lines or whatever, and here's what they would do. They would run from the baseline to the free throw line and back. Am I bringing back memories? (laughs) And then they would run to half court and back. And then they would run to the other free throw line and back. And then they would run all the way to the end and come back, and that was one. You know what I looked for? I wanted to know who were the guys that would not miss the lines. You see, it's too easy to take the shortcut and to compromise and say, I'll just get close to it. Coach isn't watching. Ha! I knew that if they stepped on the line, I could trust them at the end of the game. I wonder what it is that God is doing in your life.
that's bringing you opportunities to demonstrate your faith in him. And there's this voice that's saying to you, nobody will see you. Nobody will know. It's just a little compromise. And that was the issue that Jesus had with this church. And that's the issue that he has with me. And so what does he say to do? He says, repent. So what does that mean? Well, it means that I go to those areas where I may have compromised and I stop compromising. And then I start living a life so that I'm not looking like the world, but that I'm looking different. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. Now, there are a lot of things that we're not going to compromise. We aren't going to compromise on the fact that there's only one way to the Father. We're not going to compromise on the fact that Jesus died and was, and was buried and was raised to, to life, right? We're not going to compromise those things, and Satan knows that. That's why he comes in all in these subtle ways to tempt us, because he knows it just takes a little bit to get us off. So here's what I want you to say what Jesus says. Look at this. He says, I will give the person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So here's what Jesus is saying. When he's talking about the Nicolaitans, he's talking about the people, they were, they were all immoral people, okay? That's what he's talking about. There, there was immorality, and, and Jesus says, as a church, you can't deal with it. In other words, he says, as a church, it's, we're responsible as a church to discipline those who are part of the body. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's why we have the church, so that we can walk together in life. And when we mistakes, we're there to point it out and to, to help each other and encourage each other and watch, walk with each other down this path. That's what the church does. Peter tells us that, you know what? He says, where judgment will start, it will start in the church. Now, when Jesus talks about it, he says, I will come back and I will come back as a sharp double-edged sword. Here's what he's saying. You know what? I will come back as savior to you or I will come back as judge. It's up to you. You know what? I'm not afraid for Jesus to come back. And I know you aren't either. You shouldn't be. You know why? Because he's not my judge. That already took place. You know who he is? He's my savior. And he's going to welcome me to a place that he's been preparing for me since the beginning of time. But I need to know how to get there. All right, now, here's what Jesus is telling that church. I'm going to close with this. You see, one of the things that they did is in this arena, they would have athletic games. And if you won the game, then you were, given, you were given a crown. Remember, we talked about that last week. But there was also something else you were given. You were given a white stone. And on that white stone, your name was written on it. Now, here's why that was important. You see, only the people who overcame and only the winners were invited to a huge party, a huge festival at the biggest palace in their garden. And you know what? None of the people in Pergamum were allowed to go because guess what? They were excluded. And so Jesus comes to them and he tells them this. He goes, I know what's going on. I see what's going on because I'm right in and amongst you. I'm watching you. And here's the areas that I need you to take care of. But if you do, if you take care of these areas, if you go back to being the light that I've called you to be, I want you to know that at the end of your life, I'm going to give you a stone. 
And that stone is going to have your name on it, but it's going to be a new name. And it's going to be a name that only you're going to recognize because you'll know that this is what your life has been about. And that festival, that party, is in my Father's house. And that's where we will celebrate. My dear friends in Christ, I know this is a hard letter. You get it today, I've been dealing with it all week. I'm not saying you're bad people, you're not bad people at all. I love you dearly. I'm proud of you, the fact that you're the church. But you know what, in my life, I need to have my, my, my that hit that, that refresh button booked, hit. And that refresh button needs to be hit because I don't want my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to go stale. Satan knows he can't come in here and wipe us out, but you know what he'll start doing? He'll start by just planting little seeds that will cause you to compromise. And you think that won't affect anybody else, but you know where it starts? In your family. Protect your family. Protect the family of God. Let your light so shine before men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this letter. It was a hard one to read. But at the same time, it was something that I needed to hear. I'm reminded of the verse in Scripture that just tells us that you discipline those whom you love. And I know, Father, there's nothing that I could ever do that would separate me from your love. But I also know, Father, that you have called me to higher standard. Father, forgive me. I've blown it. There are times when I thought, well, this is not going to be a big deal. Nobody's going nobody's to know. Nobody's going to be bothered by it. But you know what? Yeah, I was wrong. And so, Father, I'm just following what you've told me to do. I'm repenting of it. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to do it the way that you've called me to do it. I want to do it in the right way. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? So I just want to say to you is that... Um, there may be some of you that have some questions about this. Maybe there's something that you want to know a little bit more about. Out at the starting point there, we've got a group of people who are out there ready to just to pray with you and to help you with where you're at, to help you to get on the path. And so I want to encourage you to do that if you need to. Receive the blessing of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his strength. And remember, he wants you to have that so your light can shine. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.